right, all right. Hey, before you're seated, let's pray. If you just stay standing for a minute, I'd love it. God, I want to thank you so much that you are with us. You are here today. We just sing about your son, Jesus Christ, the love he has for us. I pray for every one of us today that we would come to a deeper understanding of the love that you have for us individually and the love that you have for the world. And that your whole design is, yeah, that we would have a better life as we're going to talk about, but that you would get glory, you would get honor because of the lives you've changed. You've changed us and you're making us more like your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, go ahead and have a seat if you would. Be awesome. So good morning, everybody. And I know that we're still struggling with trying to figure out where to sit, right, with this new schedule. You know, you come in and somebody's in your chair if you're an 8 o'clock or 9.35 and trying to figure that out. That's actually good for you, okay? Just so you know, that a little bit of change, a little bit of discombobulation is actually a good thing for us as we come into this. I want to invite you, if you would, to grab your message notes out of your program. Um, they look like this. They say the good life on top. You can follow along with the talk today. Uh, write some notes. I'll have all the Bible verses there. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it to Second Peter. That's where we're going to be looking at today. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, I'd just love to give you one as a gift today. So when you leave on both sides of the auditorium at the doors, there's some racks with books there. You just take one today. That's our gift to you. Uh, once again, if you want to come in and use one while you're here, just grab it and then put it back at the end of the day. Uh, that would be awesome if you chose to do that. So we're in the last message in our Good Life series. And this has a, a, been a personal recalibration series for me. In fact, I'll just go all the way back to January. This is a recalibration year for me, and God's just used uh, the messages, the series, personal uh, discipline, uh, a spiritual retreat I went to, a mentor that I now have in my life. All kinds of things in this year uh, have just helped me because I, you know what I've realized is as we started this series and I started this year that, you know, I, I was just feeling stuck or stalled and uh, I was feeling guilty about that. You know, I'm the pastor, I'm supposed to be leading the way and I'm supposed to be growing all the time, right? And I was, yet I was feeling stuck or stalled. Anybody else ever get there? Yes. Yeah, we all get there. Yeah, and so what we can do at that point, we can blame others, we can blame the church, we can blame this or blame that or circumstances. But what God did for me I can blame my job even, say it's because of my job leading other people. I don't have time for it myself. But what he did for me is he led me down a path. And in this path has been this series that we've been in on the good life. And so this has been so meaningful for me. And I want to encourage you, if you didn't pick up the book yet uh, on the lost uh, value, the pursuit of happiness, uh, the Lost Value, you might want to pick that up because that book all the way through has some very helpful things. And then uh, next fall, I'm going to be entering into another series that's going to help to talk about uh, our souls and what God wants to do in our souls and with us. I'm just really excited about that. But at the top of your notes uh, is the verse, is our theme, John 10, 10. Jesus says this, my purpose is to give them, and that them there, by the way, this is every person who is a follower of Jesus. So that's who he's talking about here. Give them a rich and a satisfying life. So let me remind you now of the definition that I've used for the good life. Kind of wrote this on my own based on what I was doing in the study on this uh, book of Second Peter. And it's this. It's a sense of well-being that emanates or it comes from intimacy with God and others, a life of character and integrity 
when I have compassion towards those who are hurting and helpless, and when I make a choice to have a purpose greater than life than self-absorption, that's the good life. And when I live that kind of life, that's what I'm going to experience and experience with him. So let's look at what we've been looking at in these verses. Just new context. We're going to go back and read most of them. Uh, we've looked at every week in this series. And Peter begins this in verse 2. He says, may God give you more and more. So just, just love that. There's never, an end, there's never an end to this. There's more and more. It's always coming. It's always continuing. It's growing. It's multiplying. Grace and peace as you grow. So I experience grace and peace as I grow. And grace and peace helps me grow. So we just kind of both things there. By his divine power, that's also a word for grace. By his divine power, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Let's just pause there for a minute. Make every effort. So in the series every week, we've just come back on this and Oh my word, I was just, you know, I didn't do this entire series, but I've done it a couple of times in the series. As I've come to Sunday and after the previous Sunday, did I make every effort this week to do what we said? No, I really didn't. And yet that's what Peter's saying to us. He says, if we will engage ourselves and we will come to a place where we will make every effort, then we will grow. Now, I ran across a story this week that I wanted to just kind of pause and help us with. It's called Glinda's Long Swim. This is a true story. Glinda and Robert Lennon were four miles off the coast of Florida and they were fishing from their boat. Hot day, Glinda decided to cool off by jumping into the ocean. And what happened is, is that there was a current and she soon found that she was farther away from the boat than she knew that she could swim back. So her husband was on the other side of the boat fishing. She yelled out to him. He heard her. He automatically just jumped in the water. All good husbands would do this. He jumped in the water, okay, and he just swam out to her. And then he realized, we're both going away from the boat now, and what are we going to do? So they're being swept away from their boat. There's no one else around. And so they sat there. He was a champion swimmer. You got to know this. He was a champion swimmer. And so they came up with this plan. He would swim back to the boat, and then he would come and get her. So he started swimming back, champion swimmer, swim back to the boat. Six hours later, as he's swimming back to the boat, he can't get there because the current is so strong. The current actually changed. And as the current changed, it moved him back to the boat. But by now, it's dark, and there's nothing that he can do. And so the next day, they started a search for Glenda, Glenna, and they go out to find her. They couldn't find her. At the end of the day, they found her 20 miles from where he had left her, 20 miles. And so, you know, the idea is this in that story. I think it was just so, so relevant to this series, that if I stay still... If I just float, guess where I'm going to go? Further and further away from where God wants me to be. But what I have to do is I have to find the current, and then I have to, with every effort I can muster, swim as hard as I can to get to him. So that's the idea, okay? Every effort. That's what he's calling from us in order that we can move forward. So growth, the good life, is going to require that kind of intense effort. Let's go back and read these now. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection. That's what we talked about last week with brotherly affection. And this week, brotherly affection with love for 
everyone. So I just want to go back a little bit as we're wrapping up the series, just to kind of help us out a little bit. When we, the very first week, uh, when we were in verses one and two, and three, verses one through four, we looked at two theological concepts. The first one is the doctrine of justification. And justification means that I've been made right with God. When I say yes to Jesus Christ and I receive forgiveness from him for what he did for me on the cross and I come humbly and say I need him, ask him for his forgiveness, confess my sins, turn my life over to him, at that moment I am justified, the Bible says, and there's nothing else I can do. So that's the end of that. I'm justified. Nothing else I can do. So what happened at that moment, it's a legal and a personal thing. Legally, Jesus made it possible for me to be redeemed. And so when I say yes to him, so legally now, I'm redeemed before God. He paid the penalty for my sin. Personally, though, Jesus also made it possible for me to be adopted. So I'm now in his family. So legally, I'm redeemed. Personally, I'm adopted. Nothing can change that, okay? So you got that? Nothing can change that part. So we got to know that that's essential part. But now that I'm justified, now that I've said yes to Jesus, and this is where I, this is what I think is difficult with all of us who get stuck at a certain point. Many churches are stuck here. You know, many followers of Jesus are stuck here. Many followers of Jesus walk away from church because of this. What happens is, is they're justified and they, they're clutching their ticket to heaven and they're clutching it as they go through life, but they are no longer following Jesus. They're not following Jesus. And so they're not doing the things that will help them to grow into a relationship with him. That concept is sanctification. We have to have both. Justification, where we're made right with him, and sanctification, where we're made like him. And that's what we're talking about in this series. I'm going to read a definition of sanctification. This is from Wayne Grudem, pastor, scholar, uh, seminary professor. He says this, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Jesus in our actual lives. So I'm talking like free from sin, like Jesus in our lives, not just that we're at church, okay? In our everyday life. And so what this series is about, it's about God's work in us by grace and then my effort empowered by grace to become who he's called me to be. It's the ongoing, progressive, gradual, organic process of becoming like Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing thing that I do. So we have to remember that. We have to remember, we've looked at these characteristics and we called them adornments. We called them furnishings. We called them accessories. We called them the things that would be added to us as we walk with them. We can't produce any of these. So we have to realize this as we step forward now is that I can, this is not what God wants from me. He doesn't want me to work to be more self-controlled or work to have more godliness, or work to have more knowledge. These are the things he wants for me. This is the blessing he wants to give me when I walk with him. This is the fruit of a relationship with him, that I'll know these things in my life. And today we're going to talk about probably the most difficult one, and that is love. Love. And so, I'm, you know, every week we define it. So there's a definition for you. It's from the Greek word agape. Pastor Mark mentioned this word last week. In fact, you might want to go out, if you weren't here, watch his talk from last week. And he talked through all the words in love in the New Testament. But this one is agape today. And so here's the definition. The choice to act sacrificially on behalf of others, to seek the highest good of another, active goodwill toward others. C.S. Lewis defined it this way. Uh, willing the ultimate good for 
another. So that's agape love, willing the ultimate good for another person. On Thursday, I was deeply moved uh, by something I saw, and it was the story of Lance Corporal Kyle Carpenter. He received the highest honor that would be given to an American. He received the Medal of Honor for throwing himself on a grenade to save a comrade in battle. And so I want to show that today. I want to give us an idea of agape love. We're going to watch a little bit of an interview that was done with him, and then we're going to watch the actual ceremony where he received the Medal of Honor in the White House. Let's watch. The U.S. Marine is set to receive the Medal of Honor, which is our military's highest award. 24-year-old Lance Corporal William Kyle Carpenter made a split-second decision when he jumped on a live grenade to shield his fellow Marines during a Taliban attack in 2010. Miraculously, he was able to survive his injuries, but he lost his right eye and had many other injuries to overcome, and he has undergone numerous surgeries. Lance Corporal Kyle Carpenter joins us live from Washington today. What an honor it is to have you with us. Uh, welcome. Welcome to you, Lance Corporal. Thank you so much for having me. You know, reading through your story, uh, it's a remarkable story uh, of bravery. You were able to save the life of a, of a friend and a fellow Marine, and for that, you're going to be honored uh, with the nation's highest military honor at the White House. But you have said, and, and we've heard others uh, who have been in a similar position, all, as rare as it is and as uh, honored as you all are, that you, you don't feel necessarily like you did anything outside of what you were trained to do. It, uh, I receive it with a heavy heart. It, it's a huge honor, and I'm very appreciative, and, and I'm very humbled by it. But at the same time, there's not just from Iraq and Afghanistan, but, but previous wars and since this country was founded, uh, there have been those who didn't make it back, and there have been those who did make it back and uh, had worse injuries than mine. So to be in the spotlight and be honored by the nation uh, does does have it, its hard points. But at the same time, uh, with the spotlight that's on me, I, I truly hope to push that uh, and, and spotlight our other service members and just other great things that are being done out there and, and just let people know that, that courageous things happen on the battlefield every day and, and all of us raised our right hand in the exact same way to serve our country. We'll continue to give that message to the world, and you'll do it so proudly uh, on Thursday at the White House. We thank you so much for your service and for all your sacrifice and for all your continuing to give uh, to your nation every single day. Lance Corporal Carpenter and a fellow Marine were manning a rooftop security position on the perimeter of Patrol Base Dakota when the enemy initiated a daylight attack with hand grenades, one of which landed inside their sandbag position. Without hesitation, and with complete disregard for his own safety, Lance Corporal Carpenter moved towards the grenade in an attempt to shield his fellow Marine from the deadly blast. When the grenade detonated, his body absorbed the brunt of the blast, severely wounding him, but saving the life of his fellow Marine. By his undaunted courage, bold fighting spirit, and unwavering devotion to duty in the face of almost certain death, Lance Corporal Carpenter reflected great credit upon himself and upheld the highest traditions of the Marine Corps and the United States Naval Service.
just really rocked me this week when I watched this. Uh, the entire ceremony was uh, 22 minutes long, I believe. Maybe it was 17, but it was long. Began with a prayer, ended with a prayer. And I thought, well, you know, I bet because we began with a prayer and ended with a prayer, this guy has faith. And so I went out and did some more research and found out, yes, he has a follower of Jesus. And that on his side, he has a tattoo. Uh, and it's from Psalms. And it says this. It says, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And during his recovery, he had, I, I can't even tell you how many surgeries he ended up having uh, to reconstruct himself. But that, first of all, the tattoo ran all along his side. The fact that it wasn't damaged in one bit from the explosion. And then as it, through, all throughout his recovery, the nurses and doctors and the physical therapists, all the people who worked with him, that was even their inspiration while they worked on him, that Bible verse that popped out from there. It was untouched after taking the blow from the grenade. So when he received this honor, what he did, he received an honor for giving himself sacrificially for another. And that's as best as I can say today what agape means and is. So I'm going to give you the bottom line, though, because I want to take it a step further than just doing it because that it was for a friend or for a comrade. Here's what the Bible would say that agape is. It's choosing to sacrificially act in love toward others because God loved me with such an extravagant love. So my motivation is the fact that God loved me. So I step out in that way. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we do it when we've experienced the love of Jesus Christ first, and then we give back what we've been given. So what I want to do is I'm going to walk through some three ideas really quickly that we're going to move into communion today, because I want us to experience Jesus' sacrificial love for us through communion today. But I want to give us three thoughts about Jesus' love and then how that can motivate us to want to give to others extravagantly ourselves. First is this. If I'm going to grow to love like Jesus, I need to reflect on his cross. I need to reflect on his cross. So in order to fully understand this, I have to spend some time looking at what he's done for me. Now, by the way, this is why we spent eight weeks before we got to the Good Life series focusing on what? His cross. We focused on the last eight words of Jesus Christ from the cross. The good life's only possible when we understand that it was made available through the love of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And then when I focus on the cross, then it allows me to be even more motivated to want to allow God to make the changes in me that we've talked about in this series. So agape, I mean, phileo love that we talked about last week, that's love for a brother. But agape love, it takes it a whole to a whole nother level. It's giving to people who aren't like me. It's giving to people who hurt me. It's giving to people that I don't like. Giving love to people that I don't know. That's what agape love would be. In fact, look at these verses from Ephesians 5, which talk about the cross and what Jesus did when he sacrificed. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Would you circle that in your notes and your Bible too? Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So there's our example, following example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So there we go. We see that 
the call in the Bible is, is that if we're going to love like God wants us to love, if we're going to love as we were loved, we have to know how we were loved. And we have to spend time focusing on the cross and what he did. First John, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Since God loved us that much, there's our motivation again, we surely ought to, at a minimum, is what he's saying here, love each other. That's a minimum there. But then he calls us to go even further and to love others. So what the idea is, is that when I look at the cross and I study what Jesus did for me, and I realize and I grasp fully that for God so loved the world, and that means me, God so loved me that he gave his only son that I could have life, that's love. And he, that motivates me to want to give out to others. And I'll just say this, I'll just say it clearly. This is why I would just say, and we're gonna talk more about this in this next series on Babylon. But I would just say that one of our problems as followers of Jesus is, is that we think everybody should act like followers of Jesus if they are or not. And guess what? They can't. Absolutely no way. In fact, one of the ways you can tell if you're a follower of Jesus or not is how you're doing it, loving people who aren't like you, loving at people who hurt you. And the motivation and the inspiration of power comes from his love that was planted inside of us. Okay, second is this. If I'm gonna grow to love like Jesus, I must reflect on his process first. I must respond to his commands. I must respond to the commands that he gives. Okay, so Jesus says in a couple of places uh, here, he talks about love. I just picked two for us today. First one is this, Matthew 5. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, here's what I say to you, love your enemies. You might just underline that right now. And you might stop and say, who would that be? Who would that be? You have maybe someone who's next who says, pray for those who persecuted you. Do you have someone who's hurt you in some way? Do you have someone who's just different than you and you've decided that they're an enemy because they aren't like you in values or in the way that they live in some way? So they must be the enemy because they're not like you. But he says, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who do wrong to you. In that way, you will be acting as true children. So you might just underline that. You will be acting as true children. How do I know I'm a true child of God? Oh, I can love my enemies and I pray for their well-being. I pray for their blessings to come into their lives when I do that. Now, so those are, those are some really hard words. Now, I just want to be clear about this because uh, I just know that, uh, that there are some in the room that are going to take me incorrectly here. I just already can see you're going to write in your connection card if I don't stop, pause now, and say this, okay? And it's those who are hurt deeply and have been hurt deeply by someone else abused or they're in an abusive situation right now and just know that what I, I this is not saying that you will that you need to be in a relationship with someone who's abused you or to stay in a relationship with someone who is abusing you okay is that clear but that you pray for the person who's abusing you you can pray for their well-being and what God might do to change them. So just know when we say that you have to love your enemies, it doesn't mean that you walk back in when someone's abused you and say, give it to me again. <laughs> you don't do that at all. You just allow yourself to 
find a way where you can grow and love. You can love somebody without liking them. Grow and love and pray for their well-being. Now, Jesus actually did that. He actually did that in a way that was so cool. And I want to give you an example from John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus has just humbled himself and he has washed his disciples' feet. Okay, He's humbled himself and he's washed his disciples' feet. And then this is what he said to them. Okay, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. You might just go ahead and underline that part. Do as I've done to you because that's the command there. What he's calling us to do is do that. Now, here's what Jesus knew because he was the son of God and he knew the things that were about to happen to him and how things were going to come down that very night. He knew that one of the men that he had washed the feet of was about to betray him. So he knew that his enemy was right there and he bent over and humbly washed his betrayer's feet. He knew that Peter, the one who's writing these words, was going to deny him So he knew that there was going to be somebody who would hurt him through that denial, and yet he still showed love. And so what I think that we can extrapolate from that and bring to our message today is this, is that he's called me to still love people even though they have hurt me, even though they have hurt me. And he's called us to do that. And I'm telling you, this is, this is probably the most difficult of anything that I've ever had to do. And as I walked other people through who've been through way worse than me at the hands of other people, is the ability to, to say, I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to love them and wish the best for them, even though I'm still maybe not going to be fully in relationship with them. Okay. So that was the second idea, and we learned that from Jesus. We have to respond to his commands. And the third one is this. I need to react with compassion. If I'm going to grow in love, I need to start letting my reactor go. And instead of reacting with anger or reacting in all the other ways that I can, that when I see the hurts and needs in the world, that I need to react with compassion. Jesus did that multiple times, but it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 9. It says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So here's what Jesus was able to do. He was able to look at the world and he looked into the world and he saw the hurts and he saw the difficulties. He saw the things that people were going through. He saw the helplessness of the world, and he didn't look at people through eyes of criticism or judgment. This is what we do. We look at people who are in desperate situations, and sometimes what we do is we look at them with eyes of judgment. And you wouldn't be in this situation if only you would have been like me, of course, and you wouldn't be in that same place. Or we look at them with criticism in some way, judgment or criticism, and we say, you know what, I can't, you're in this place because of your lifestyle, because of your choices, because of this, because of that, and we don't look at them with the eyes of compassion. In order to fully love someone, even if they have made mistakes, and even if they're continuing to make the same mistakes, and they're suffering the consequences with that for those, even if I'm going to look at them with love, I've got to have this sense of compassion toward them. To realize, and, and I don't know if you guys know this phrase, but except for grace, there go I. 
is that every one of us uh, has the, had the potential to be in that same place. And maybe some of us were blessed to be in a different family. Some of us were blessed with different backgrounds. Or some of us were blessed in some way to not have the ramifications from the decisions we made or the choices we made along the way. And some people did. You know, they, Some people did it once, and then they ended up devastated for life. Some people did it a hundred times, and it never happened to them. You know, We just have a tendency to look at the world and judge the world and criticize it when they're not like us. But what Jesus said, he looked at the world and all its hurt and all of its helplessness, and he had compassion. Then in Matthew 25, he says this, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of these, showed compassion to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then he says this, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And what he's calling us to is he's calling us to a life where we're going to be willing to show love by sharing compassion to others, sharing compassion with them. So the purpose of this whole series has been is that as I now go through life, I will increasingly, organically, progressively, gradually grow to where my responses are more like Jesus' responses. One of the revelations that I got in this series that was so helpful for me, and it may be helpful for you as well, is that I can be so hard on myself. Anybody else there? You know, I can just be so hard on myself when I fail, when I've not done it perfectly, when I've not done it correctly, when I've stumbled. I can just you know, pull out that whip and just, you know, I'm so bad. I shouldn't be, able, shouldn't, this shouldn't be, like, shouldn't be like this. And what I realized in this series is this. First... I'll never be perfect until I'm where? Heaven, okay? Never be fully perfect until I'm in heaven. And the second thing I realized is this, is that I'm a lot better than I used to be. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool for you too? You're a lot better than you used to be. But what happens is Satan convinces you you're not because you're not perfect. And then you get caught up in, I'm not perfect yet, so I must be bad And God must not love me. Instead, look at what he's doing in you. And now he's progressively moving you toward the image of Jesus Christ. And then you can actually celebrate your failures. You can celebrate your stumbles. Because it's just another indication that you're still on the journey. And the other thing is, just to remember, you're not as bad as Satan wants you to think you are. You're not as bad in that way. So what I want us to do is I want us to to think about... The concept of love for just a minute. And, and as we wrap up this portion of love before we move into communion, I want us to just think about this in, in the area of loving other people. So if you could view life this way, and for those of you who, you know, your, your antennas are way out there and you're codependent on everyone, this may not be quite your call today. For most of us, I think this would be our call today is this, is to realize I'm here for the person next to me. I'm here for the person next to me. I'm here for the person on the other side of the room. I'm here for that person. I'm here for the person who drove by Twin Cities Church this morning and was too afraid to pull in the parking lot. I'm here for the person that I walked by in the grocery store yesterday. And if I could have stopped and talked, I would have found out that they're consumed by their financial concerns or by some health issues or by relationship struggle or by some kind of parenting confusion that they're going through, or family conflict, or addiction, or hurt. 
is that if I'm going to have agape love, what God wants me to realize is this, is that I'm here for other people. It's not for me. It's not for me. Love is more concerned with others than it is in itself. More concerned with others. And God has called us to be lovers of people. So agape love can give with no strings attached. Agape love says, I'm going to pour out my life for you. Agape love is not a response to a feeling. You know, most people think that if I don't feel it, I don't do it. But agape love is not a feeling. It's an action where I'm going to make a choice to give to someone else who has a need. So I'm going to give you a question to ask, okay? You want to write this down in your notes. I'm going to ask you ask this question as you go through your life. And here's the question. What does love do? What does love do? I want you to ask that question as you go through your life, as you're in situations, as you're in relationships, as you're in struggles. And then I want you to follow it up with this prayer. And I've been practicing this this week, and you're going to be amazed at what this prayer can do for you. And here's the prayer. Jesus, love through me. Jesus, love through me. So what does the love do in your marriage? What does love do in your parenting? What does love do in your dating and your leading and your working and your conversations and your friendships and your hobbies and your alone times and your choices and your habits? Love says, what does love do? Jesus, love through me. Jesus, love through me. Okay, let's wrap this all up. I'm going to go back to the verses that we read uh, earlier in the series, actually, we had, we've had communion twice in this series, which is, I think, just really cool that it worked out this way. And I used these verses when we went into communion last time, and I think it works well this time. Verses 8 and 9 of Second Peter talks about what's happening, all that we've talked about up until now. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. Now, that word ineffective, I kind of did a little more research on that this week. It means useless or empty or idle. So it keeps you from being effective if you're not growing or unfruitful. And that means that I'm not producing the things of the spirit. And then it says this, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So those who know Jesus do as Jesus does. And so it's really important for us today to go to the cross now and be reminded of what it was that he did for us on the cross. But I want to end with the final verse of 2 Peter. The final verse of 2 Peter. This is like Peter's last word that he wants to say, last word he said actually before his death. He says this, you, talking to you today, you can personalize this. I must grow in the grace and knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. So he's saying here, I grow in two ways. I grow in grace. And that is, first, God's unmerited favor for me, that just understanding of that. But then grace is also, as we talked about, the power to do what he's called us to do. And I grow in knowledge, which means I need to know more and more about Jesus Christ and what he actually has uh, to say to me. So I want to leave you with this last um, Last idea about growth, and you want to fill in these three blanks, and then we'll go into communion. Here we go. Growth requires intensity. So if I'm going to grow, I have to make every effort. Growth requires integration. 
if I'm going to grow, I need to focus on both grace and truth. Grace plus truth equals love. Another formula is this. Grace plus truth plus time equals change. So it's grace plus truth over time equals life change. And then the third one is this. It requires inspiration. And the inspiration is what Peter said at the end, that my life would bring Jesus Christ's glory, that would bring God glory. So I'm going to ask my ushers if they'll all move into place right now. I'm going to ask the rest of us if we bow our heads. And I want to lead us in a prayer as we move into this time where we serve communion. I'll let, us know, let you know at the end of the prayer what it is we're actually going to do. So I want to begin the prayer. We can, I just think before I pray, I just wanted to just say a couple of words. And if you just have your heads bowed and your eyes closed so you won't be focusing on what goes on around you but listening. I just say that, first of all, we can all relate to Peter at some level. We've all failed Jesus. And I would say the biggest difference is, is that Peter's failures are written down in a book for us to read. Peter understood failure, and we do too. And I just say, some of you failed big time, and maybe even last night, this morning, last week, 10 years ago. And you're believing the lie that God won't accept you because of that failure. And so if that's you, I'm just going to invite you when we have communion today to just realize and as you take the elements when you do that to realize that God does accept you through Jesus turn your life to him turn yourself to him and receive that today others of you you're stalled out just like I was mentioning in your journey to Jesus and these qualities are not increasing in your life like you know Jesus wants So what I just invite you to do today is that you would say, Jesus, I'm going to ask you today to show me the path that you want me to take, to show me what you would have me do. What is my effort? Because I want to engage fully so that I can have my spirituality charged again, so that I can see improvements in becoming like Jesus. And in others of you, I would just say that you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. And so even the verse from John 10.10 would not be true of you today. I say that as lovingly as I can. And you would want to say today, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want to be in your family. And I want to follow you. And God, now as we're in this time of communion together, I pray that you would speak to each of us individually. But I'm asking even more than that, that you would speak to us corporately about our church's vision and our mission and our ability to love people as Jesus loved us. Some of our ushers now, they're going to start serving. And what you want to do is you want to take a piece of the cracker and a cup of juice, and then you're going to hold that until we're all served. And then we're going to have communion together. In just a couple of minutes, uh, our team will start singing a song. The lyrics will be on the screen. You're free to sing or just to let the words just come into you from the song. There's no pressure there. I just want it to be a time of prayer. And if you'd not talk to your neighbors or those around you, I would appreciate that.
when we're all served, we'll have communion together.
So in that same night when Jesus washed the feet, he knew he was going to go die. And he would give his life in an act of sacrificial love for us, for them and us. And that night he said that I want you to think on these things by remembering what I'm going to do on the cross. And so he gave them the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. And what I want to do right now is we want to walk through and eat and drink, just like Jesus advised the disciples to do and as the church has done for 2,000 years now in remembrance of him. So he said about the bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, for you. And then he said, eat this and remember me. And then he held up a pitcher or a cup. And he said that this wine or this juice, it represents my blood. The blood that is shed for you for the remission of sins. To establish a new covenant between man and God. To show you his love and my love for you. Drink and remember him. And then Jesus left that room and he went out and was betrayed. He was denied. He was beaten. And he died. To show us God's love, sacrificially given, that we could have life. And that is our motivation and our inspiration is. That as we love, people see God through us. God, thank you so much. It's not complicated. I pray that you would help us to understand it even more. I pray that you would help each of us to grow in our ability to love, grow in our willingness to love. Help us to put aside our judgments and our criticisms of people who aren't like us. I'd say especially for the church, help us to stop judging people who aren't in your family. Help us to deal with our own stuff so that we can be a positive witness and a testimony to our world, God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in this area of compassion, that we, would, we all run across people everywhere we go. And God, I just pray that you would just help us to be asking What does love do? Love through me, Jesus. What does love do? Love through me, Jesus. Help us to become lovers who hold nothing back. That's in your name we pray. Amen.